there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James, and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Connie and I were coming home last night, and I said, you know, I don't know why I do what I do. I, I should probably just retire. All I ever do is say the same thing over and over and over again. Don't people ever get tired of listening to this? And I'm sure some people do, but you're still here, so you get another dose. This work is the easiest thing to hear, the easiest thing to think about, to talk about, to read about, and to write about. Everything changes the moment that we attempt to apply it. In that moment, everything is different. And the reason it's different is it's just like reading a book on flying an airplane. Wow. Take off. You read a book on how to take off an airplane. And you get in an airplane and, and you've read the book, you know, say, let's say several times. You've studied it and you know all the steps. There's a difference when you push the throttle forward and when you pull back on the yoke and when, you, when your feet start to work on the rudder, you know, the pedals for the rudder. It, there's a difference because now you are applying it. Now you're applying what you intellectually understood. That is what separates a pilot from a student. A student is someone who reads all about it and studies it and, and has all the and takes tests and either passes the test or fails the test and then takes the test again and gets it all right. That's a student. Now, who would you rather drive with? Let's say driving. Who would you rather drive with? Someone who has driven 100,000 miles, who's, who's, who's had the experience on the road, or someone who's read the book, someone who's read the manual and has no experience whatsoever, has never been behind the wheel of a car. Well, I don't know who you want to drive with, but I know who I want to drive with. And it's not going to be the one who just read the manual and has never been behind the wheel. Why? Because I know. Because when I was 16 years old, there's this guy who had a car. He was older. He had a car. And I just begged him and begged him and begged him to let me drive it. And he said, all right. Well, there's this, we were out in this country road. He said, all right, all right. You get three tries. Well, it was a stick shift. You get three tries. Okay, fine. So first time I... Let the clutch out, boom, and the car goes, boom, 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 stalls. Okay, second time, I think, he says, you got to give it gas. You know, when you, okay, so I give it gas, and I let the clutch out, boom, 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 but it stalls. He goes, that's two. And, well, you know where this is going. <laughs> I never did get to drive the car. And, the, and he knew. He knew there was no way I was going to drive the car because I had no experience whatsoever. I just had no clue that I would have to move this foot slowly out and this foot slowly down, that there's this art to it. And that, you know, if you, if you have an automatic, if you've only driven an automatic, you just don't know that. And the people who have driven the stick shift for years, you get them in San Francisco on a hill, and it's like, ah, ah, ah. That's what I'm talking about. Applying it changes everything. In uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Now, in Revelation 10, 9 and 10, is another little interesting thing about eating scrolls. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. All this speaks of practical application to oneself. This is what this is all about. This is all, all these, this is all esoteric speak for practical application. 
So you take the book and you eat it, and it's sweet as honey in your mouth. Yes, and boy, when we're studying and learning all about it and talking all about it, it's just as sweet as honey in our mouth, isn't it? But the minute it starts to be digested by us and it gets into our stomachs and it starts to turn bitter, what does that mean, it starts to turn bitter? Well, you swallow that sweet truth and then all of a sudden you see that you're not as sweet as you thought you were. You start to see what kind of a person you actually are, and that is bitter. As a matter of fact, that's one of the most difficult things that anyone has to face in this work themselves. And they have to face what they have become, what this world has made them, what their feeling of I has gone into. That is very difficult because it does not match our pictures of ourselves. And when it does not match our pictures of ourselves, the one thing that I can promise you that you will have is depression. You will have deep, dark depression. You will hate yourself. You will loathe yourself. You will swing back and forth on the pendulum from I'm okay to I'm a worthless piece of garbage. Sound familiar? Yeah. Good. Then you've obviously observed yourself. Some people never get out of it. Some people quit right there. I, I can't do this work. It's all negative. It's too hard. No, it's not all negative and it's not too hard. It is difficult, yes, but it can be done. How do I know that? I've seen people do it. I'm doing it. So it is possible. So we're not really talking about that. We're talking about something else. Something people rarely do with the truth is apply it to themselves. Instead, it's applied to others at the level of the stone. We pick up stones and we stone them. Well, they broke the law. We stone them. But we never see what Jesus pointed out. The first thing Jesus pointed out when they wanted to, to, when they wanted to uh, stone that woman who was caught in the act of adultery, in the very act, they were outraged. You know, they were in the very act. We caught her in the very act. And it's like, well, where's the guy? You know, nobody brought the guy. They only brought the woman. They caught her in the very <clears throat> Just now read. Moses said we have to stone women like this. What do you say? Jesus was cool. He didn't want to say anything. You know, he just, ooh, I don't say anything. Then he finally said, well, whoever's, whoever of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. <laughs> well, there you have it. In other words, look at yourself. He said, observe yourself. Observe yourself. Don't worry about this woman. Observe yourself. Stop looking at the truth as something to be applied to other people and look at it as something to be applied to yourself. Look at that stone there and hit yourself in the head with it. You know, give yourself a couple of knocks on the noggin. McFly, are you in there? Wake up. What are you doing that's just like what she's doing? Well, nothing. I'm holy and righteous. Yeah, right. Take another look. And that's what Jesus was saying. Take another look. And that's all that esotericism is saying. Take another look. If you can look at yourself and find nothing wrong, take another look. And look according to what this stone says on it. The stone says you are not one. You are negative. This stone says, and if you're negative, it's no one's fault but your own. That's what's written on this stone. Take a look at it before you throw it at someone else. Take a look at it and see how it applies to you. That is the message. Got a little excited there. <laughs> We're not really ourselves. When we begin to eat this work, it's very difficult to digest. There's a bitterness involved. It's a huge bitterness involved. Now, in the beginning, it's so sweet. It's like, oh, yeah, this is great. So-and-so needs this. So-and-so. We want to give out the books. We want to tell other people about it. But when we really start to get it inside of ourselves, digest it inside of ourselves, it starts to churn things around. It starts to change things. That's a little less uh, happy. Maurice Nicole wrote in A New Man, it is said in Luke that Peter wept bitterly when the cock crew and Christ turned and looked upon him. He wept because the teaching of Christ became at that moment emotional in him. He saw himself in the light of the knowledge he had been taught. He saw the distance that lay between what he knew and what he was. 
in place of merely knowing he began to understand. This says it beautifully, and that's why I have it here. Each of us has to come to this. Each of us comes to this place where we see this difference between what we see and what we understand ourselves to be. And when that happens, it can be bitter, and we will weep bitterly. Connie, remember that? How I was that? I spent days. I, I remember I was just a basket case. When this work really started to dig in, when it really started to be upsetting, I, and I really started to see what I was like, it was just devastating. It was devastating. All I could do was cry. I didn't even, I didn't even want to live anymore. I didn't even see any reason to live. It was that horrible. I just thought, this is, forget it. I'll never be able to do this. And if you don't come to that, I think um, Oswald Chambers called it your white funeral. If you don't come to that, I really question whether you're working at all, personally. I just question it. I'm not saying you're not. I just question it. The distance between what we know and what we are is a vast chasm. False personality gives us wrong ideas, wrong valuation of ourselves. We're constantly being propagandized by the false personality. Well, all this crap, all these lies about ourselves, both good and bad, until we, we, we simply accept it. We accept it like music in the elevator, you know, or we accept it like mall music. It's just there. It's just the way it is. Esoterically, this means we're clothed psychologically with pretenses, fraud, overvaluation of ourselves. We're dressed to the nines in layer after layer of what is not us. So here we are, all dressed up with no place to go. Why is that? Well, because it's all pretense. It's, it's all phony. It's all something that isn't us, isn't the real us. And the sad part is, is we don't know what the real us is. And in order to find who the real I is, we have to start to strip away all of these other things that, we, that life has added to us, that coded us with, and told us that we are. Some good, some bad. The more of these we notice about ourselves, the stronger we get on our more real side. But it takes too much force to keep up those pretenses. You see, it takes so much force to keep up the pretenses that we never have the force to begin to look at them and find out what they're really about and find out that they're not real and find out that there is something more real within us underneath of all of those layers and layers of, I guess, psychological clothing, pretenses, fraud, overvaluation of ourselves. Is there anybody in here who doesn't overvaluate themselves? Anybody here who doesn't think that they're worth more than they get paid? Anybody in here doesn't think that people, who thinks that people treat them too well? I guess that would be the best thing. Anybody here who thinks people treat them too well? Okay, people just are too nice to me. They're just, they're not. no, we don't do that. We, we, there's always somebody in our life we can say, well, that person, they don't treat me right. You know, it's because we overvaluate ourselves. That's really what this is about. We, if we're nothing, and the work says we're so far, we're so low on a, on the scale of being. We're so low that we're like the next rung. The next rung is nowhere. You know, we're up like one rung from nowhere, which is like semi nowhere. And we're we're all excited about this. How, how wonderful we are! We're looking down at the nowheres, you know, down there on that bottom rung, and we're oh, 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 I'm so much higher than you. I'm so much better than you. We're looking at people on the same rung and saying the same thing. We look at people a little above us and say the same thing. Yeah, you don't have that. You know, you're. Uh, we're crazy. Just in case you had forgotten that, that I threw that little thing in there for you. We're all dressed up, strutting about, saying, "Don't you know who I am?" When people don't pay us our imagined due. You know, you, you walk into a room, somebody doesn't smile at you. This is a big cause for a problem, you know? And look at how many people get this big problem over that. 
Look at how you get the big problem over. Uh, I'm not smiling to him. He didn't smile at me. I'm not saying hello to him. He didn't say hello to me. He didn't give me what's due me. That's all that is. It's just pretense over evaluation of yourself. Get used to it. Get over it. Get beyond it. Or don't. Your choice. Or maybe it's not your choice. We mustn't expect to pass into something more real with all this baggage, with all this stuff on us. I tell you the truth, unless you change, you become like little children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. What does that mean? It means that all this stuff we collect as we grow up in this world has to be stripped away. We have to change and become like we were when we were little children. Well, what was that? It was naked you came into this world. Well, that means I had to be naked? Yes. That's exactly what it means. It means psychologically you must be naked and transparent. You must be unclothed. That's what it means. It means all this stuff that we put on in life has to be stripped away in order for us to find our real I. That's what it means. For you party animals who want to make it mean something else, that's not my problem. There's a reality much more profound than that with which we meet in life. And the reality of life is real. There's no question about it. It's real. You're out driving around and somebody runs into your car and you get flipped over or whatever. That's real. You know, that's happened to you, yeah? That's real. You know, and you know it's real when you're going bump, bump, bump down the road. Oh, yeah, that's happened to you a number of times, hasn't it? Two times. Yeah. It's like hanging upside down by a seatbelt in a, in a car that's turned over, you know. It's like, that's real. You, you have that real experience, you know. But there's a reality more real than the one that we meet in this life. And, and that's difficult for us to comprehend. Why? Because we're so attached to the reality we meet in this life. False personality may work here in this reality for some things. But with it, you, must, you may not pass into the greater reality open to you through transformation of your being. Yeah. False personality works here for some things. You can be a great businessman. You can be a great race car driver. You can be a great whatever artist. You can be a great a lot of things. You can be a great violinist. You can be a great whatever. You can be a great lot of things. But that does not work in the other world when there's this greater reality that can only be reached through the transformation of your being. Isn't it possible that your valuation of yourself is false? Could you have been acting your whole life from this false valuation? Is it possible? These are good questions to ask yourself. Is it possible that my valuation of myself is false? Could I have been acting my whole life from this false valuation? As you lose this psychological clothing, these pretenses, the pictures, all of these attitudes that we've got. Look at the attitudes we've got. We're so incredible with our attitudes. We just, you know, it's like we have this attitude that we're owed. We have this attitude that People don't do enough for us. We have this attitude that they should do this or we should do that. We have this attitude that we should have this or we shouldn't have that. No matter how you look at it, we have a lot of attitudes. And when we start to strip all of these away, these pretenses, these pictures, these attitudes, we will become much simpler people. Now, in the world, being much simpler is not that great. In the reality that we meet in life, being a simple person is simple-minded. You know, we don't think very much of people like that. We tend to look down on them. But in a sense, you become like a little child. Then you'll begin to understand inner peace. But dressed as we are, with all these psychological trappings, we worry and we fret. We're insulted and we're easily angered. We're disconnected and anxious. What are we disconnected from? We're disconnected from ourselves and others. Where's your connection with everybody else in this room? How good is it? You know, I've been gone for... A while now, I came back and I look around and I think, well, what connection do I really have with these people? 
And some people, there's an instant connection. And some people are disconnected. Why is that? Why is that? It's just something to ask yourself. Where is the disconnection inside of you? That's really the question. Not where's the disconnection out there, but where's the disconnection inside of you? What is it that you are not connecting with inside of yourself? This work is about stripping us of all these rags. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel, and he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I've taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. That's from Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, in case you want to read it. It's uh, interesting. Joshua was a priest, and uh, he was standing in the Holy of Holies, I guess, or getting ready to go into the temple, and this vision, this angel appeared to him or whatever, and, and that was the thing, strip away the, these filthy rags. And that's really what has to happen to us. We've got to strip away all of these pretenses, all of these pictures, all of these things, all of these attitudes that we have clothed ourselves with. We've got to have them stripped away. And we can't do it alone. It's not something you can do. You can't strip these things away. You have to allow the light to do it. And that's what the angel represents. The angel represents the light. You see? And the light is what does it. It's not your job. Your job is to allow it. That's the hard part. It's hard. Your job is to allow it. Your job is to stand there naked in front of the whole world. And if you think that's easy, well, then all I can say is you haven't been doing it. If you think that's easy, you haven't given it a try yet. This work has to do with the devaluation of ourselves. And it's done by gradually observing that we are not the people we imagined ourselves to be. Rather than overvaluating ourselves, overvaluation of ourselves, we need to start to devaluate ourselves. And how we do that is simply by observing what we actually are, what we actually do. In light of this work, in light of the teachings of this work. Why in light of the teachings of this work? Because we cannot be counted on to observe ourselves properly. We need an anchor from outside of our system that can transmit to us a cleaner, clearer perception of what we are actually like. Self-observation gives us another view of ourselves. In connection with the ideas of this work, we see something more real. We see the distance between what we thought we were and what this work teaches us we are meant to be. This is what happened to Peter and why he wept bitterly. He saw the distance between what he thought himself to be and what he was supposed to be, what this work said he could be. We get an entirely different sense of ourselves, separate from false personality. In the same way, we look different when we're stripped than fully clothed. It's kind of funny. People look good in clothes, as a rule. You think they don't. You look at some people and you think they don't look good in clothes. You ought to see them without clothes. I'm serious. See them without clothes. Like living in Macedonia in one house, they're, you know, people dressed in different clothes at different times and going in and out of the bathroom, you know. And you see people with these clothes on and those clothes on, you know. They're uh, pajamas, you know, and all this different stuff. But we had a guy staying from Scotland. Uh, I hope he's not listening. Staying from Scotland, and he, uh, he came out of the shower one day, and, and he had his shirt off. And he wore bad, kind of baggy clothes. And I could see why. I thought, oh, yeah, I can see why. And, you know, he had a kind of a, you know, what we get when we get older on our, you know, our stomachs kind of group. And, and uh, he had that. And then I thought, yeah, you can't see that. You know, you take away the clothes and you can see that. And we just don't look as good. And he also had, he had one leg shorter than the other. 
actually one leg longer than the other. He had a hip replacement, and one leg was longer than the other because they, they, did, they, they didn't get it right. The doctor didn't get it right, so he ended up with one leg longer than the other. Well, he had a built-up shoe. Well, you couldn't really see it. You couldn't notice it, but he had a built-up shoe. And so when he walked with shoes on, he walked just fine. When he, walked, when he took the shoes off, he didn't walk just fine. Blump, blump. He kind of wobbled or hobbled, you know. It's kind of wobbled, blump, blump. And that's it. You know, you start to strip away all this stuff that we've added to, and we start to get down to what's real. We get an entirely different sense of ourselves separate from the false personality, separate from what the false personality is feeding us, the propaganda that it is feeding us of who we are. In the same way, we look different, stripped, and fully clothed. Now, false personality is ashamed of our nakedness and constantly works to cover it up with pretense, imaginary ideas of ourselves, pictures, fantasies, requirements. Think about it. Think about how ashamed you are of your nakedness. Think about how you want to cover that up. Now, if you happen to be body beautiful today, that'll change. That'll change. All these filthy garments prevent us from entering the narrow gate. Like the goose who ate too much in the cornfield were too fat to fly. Remember that story that I told you about? Robert Schuler told. He did it so much better than I. I'll just give it a, a brief brush for the people who haven't heard it. Um, these geese landed in a cornfield on their way south, flying south for the winter. And one of them, and they ate corn. And then one of them ate, and the rest of them flew. Said, let's go. It's time to go. And he said, oh, this corn's too good. And he stayed there. And he, then the first snow came. And he said, okay, it's time to go. And he started to flap and flap and flap and run and run and run, but he couldn't get off the ground. He was too fat to fly. He'd eaten so much corn. That's us. We detect the false personality in others if we pay attention. We see, for example, phony gestures. We, see, we, we hear fake intonations. We observe false expressions. We see someone smiling, and we, we get the feeling that in their eyes there's no smile, but on their face there is. We get the feeling that they're not really there. We get the feeling that this is not quite right. We can see that. We can detect it in other people if we pay attention. People full of false personality are a nuisance to others. But how difficult it is to see the same thing in ourselves. It's so difficult for us to see what a nuisance we are to others. Because we're so full of false personality. Oh, it's easy for us to say, you're a nuisance because you're full of false personality. But I am not. I've observed myself, and I'm less of a nuisance now. And I certainly never was as much of a nuisance as you are. And we love a nuisance. We love to have a nuisance in the group, at least one big nuisance. Don't we? We just love it. Any group, any group in the world, you've got to have one nuisance. You've got to have one person that's louder, one person that fumbles more, one person that breaks more things, one person that asks a stupid question. You've got to have that. Fortunately, in our group, we've got one of everything. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you spend years together and you finally get to sort out all the stuff you don't need. You just keep the prime numbers. You know, you've got this one, you've got this one, you've got this one. Ah, this one asks stupid questions. This one breaks things. This one does this. This one does that. We've got it all. You know, it's perfect. And we've got it slimmed down, you know. It's streamlined now. So we have just the bare necessities. <laughs> so we get it all with, the, you know, with the minimum. It's, always, it's like concentrated, you know, concentrated work. <laughs> so we've got to separate from the false personality so we can move toward real life. But how can we do this? Outside of imagination. This is really the big question. How can we do this in any place other than imagination? How do we do it? Because we imagine we're doing it all the time, don't we? By observation, interseparation, self-remembering, non-identifying, dodging our negative emotions, external considering, becoming more conscious of ourselves. Basically, by doing all of the things that this work teaches practically. All of them. 
Just do them. Do what you can do now. If you can't do that, then do something else that the work teaches. Well, how am I going to do that? Remember what the work teaches. The best thing to do is remember what the work teaches. This moves us towards this thing the work calls real eye, the new man, balanced man, the kingdom of heaven, the conscious circle of humanity, whatever you choose to call it. This moves us toward that. When we get within its gravitational pull, it'll start to help us, pull us. It'll start to attract us to it. It'll become easier. But at first, it's going to be tough. Yes, it's going to be tough, and it'll be tough for some time. But it's worth it. Anything worth having is usually worth working for. And this is no different. This is worth having. And because it is, you have to work for it. You have to make effort. Those people in the conscious circular humanity, those people are different from those of us who we see on Earth all the time. They can understand one another. And because they understand one another, they don't hate. You, you must see that there's a difference between us and people who don't hate. Now, even though you say you don't hate, if you dislike somebody, if you're irritated by somebody, if you're annoyed by somebody, it's the same thing. You know, if you can get negative towards somebody, it's the same thing. Negative emotions all lead down to violence. It's all hatred. Now, if you want to cut and measure degrees and slice it, slice the cheese very thin, you know, paper thin, then you do that if you want. Then while you're doing that, you're wasting your force and you're wasting your energy where you could be working. You could be telling the truth. You could be taking that little book and eating it and having it turn sour and bitter in your stomach and start to see the truth about you. That you're not conscious, that you're not aware, that you're not fully awake, and that you do hate. Here on Earth, we know hatred in many degrees, forms, levels, and manifestations. We take it for granted and even call it love when it lies dormant awaiting rain, the rain of negative emotions. You know, it's like those, it's like weed seeds. You ever notice how weed seeds can last forever? You know, they can wait for years. No rain for years. First rain, weeds are the first thing to come up. Why? It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. They just hang in there. And so for us, we have to see this about ourselves. Here on earth, we know hatred in so many different degrees and levels, forms and manifestations. So much so that we take it for granted, we even call it love. You love someone now, you hate them tomorrow. Why? Because they didn't do what you wanted them to do. The good news is you cannot hate when you understand. Remember, understanding is the greatest force you can create in yourself. You cannot hate when you understand. So when you understand, you will not be able to hate. Just like the people who are in the conscious circle of humanity, the people who have awakened, they cannot hate. It's impossible for them to hate because they understand. This is why the work tells us the most powerful force we can create in ourselves is understanding. How you create this force in yourself is by stripping away these pretenses, these attitudes, these pictures. And how you do that is by self-observation, observing yourself according to what this work tells you to observe. Because we cannot be counted on to observe what we want to observe and make progress. We can be counted on at that point to simply work in our imagination. So that's what I have to say about that. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, 
I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.